Last Sunday, Chuck led us in a great time. Wasn't it good last Sunday to go through and just enjoy with each other the things that Christ has been faithful to do for us in our lives? Those of you who were here last week, we spent some time at the beginning just telling each other those good things that God has done and been faithful in. That was, that was enjoyable for me. And we don't have to stop doing that. That's not just for last Sunday. You can tell each other any time, by the way, those good things. But we also reflected on some, on some things in Acts chapter 2. And when we did that, we talked about the Holy Spirit given the day of Pentecost. Um, if you remember, that's 50 days. That's the reason for Penta there. And Chuck explained that well last Sunday. The Holy Spirit came. And one of those things that the Holy Spirit was to do was a purpose of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. We talked about how that the languages were heard in the, the specific languages and dialects of the people that were coming through at that time. The Holy Spirit gave that power to those men at the time. The very foundation of the church of Jesus Christ is born in the gospel. There is no other. And yet I wonder how many people actually know what the gospel is. We live in an era right now where the gospel is not something we can assume that people just generally know. It's not the America that we used to have. Children are not taught in the same way and fashion that they used to be taught in schools and just in general in their communities. But you also might think that I'm just talking about society around us, but I'm not. I'm talking about churches. Churches themselves have lost sight of what the true gospel is. The culture has always reflected what the church teaches about the gospel. The church, either they say nothing, and so the culture hears nothing, or they distort it and make up something on their own, or we tell something that's not the gospel at all. And so the culture gets confused. So don't blame the culture on what the gospel is perceived as, because the church is usually the one who's the culprit. So if we give them a false idea of the gospel, that's probably what they'll take with them. And I'm afraid they hear the gospel of prosperity, they hear a gospel of good times, the gospel of life coaching. Here's how you can do it better. The gospel of good feelings. You'll feel better with Christ. A social gospel. We can address all of those problems in society. People murdering others, abuse, sexual problems, marriages falling apart. We can address those with the gospel. But that's not the gospel, is it? That's not the gospel. Now the gospel will then inform and form a foundation that will address all of those things, but that's not the gospel. It's easily distorted and corrupted by both the world and by our own lazy Christian ways, isn't it? That's why Paul was so passionate about the purity of the gospel. In his letters, you'll read this time and time again, and in his letter of the Galatians, let's turn there for just a second. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, if you will, in your Bibles. This is not our text for today, but go to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians 
And I want you to see this because um, this is something that Paul was adamant to attack and make sure that is pure in the churches. And it wasn't very long after the gospel was given that the church started to fall away from that. So in chapter one of Galatians, verse six, he says this, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we've preached to you, let them be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say it again, if anyone preaches any other gospel than what you've received, let him be accursed. And church, we're, uh, we're instructed to be on guard. It's our responsibility to protect the purity of the gospel, the message that we've been given. So I want to start us here. We're just going to talk through the gospel today. And before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel. What it's done for us is so significant. God, help us to protect the true message of the gospel, to keep it pure. Father, help us to learn it, to grow in it, and God, let us not be turned away from it. God, help us in our community to reflect the gospel so that they will get a true idea of what the gospel is from you. And it's these things I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, turn over to Romans 5, and we'll spend a good part of our time here in Romans 5, chapter 5 of Romans. Now, we're not going to go as in-depth as we could here. There are entire classes and books and, and so forth written on all of this. But I do want to focus on a few things here in chapter 5, verse 5 through 11. So I'm just going to read these through, and then we're going to dig in. Verse 5 says this, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. And we talked about that from Acts 2, right? the Holy Spirit. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And that not only, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the reconciliation. What a fantastic message of good news. Does that sound like what the culture will teach you? Probably not. But the gospel is right there. Now I'm going to reflect this in 1 Corinthians because remember, we've been going through Corinthians and I'm going to mention this. In, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I declare you the gospel. And here it is. For I delivered to you first of all that which I received, 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he was seen by Cephas and then the 12 and after that by more than 500. So we're not hiding this gospel from you. The resurrection of Christ, it's there. In both these instances, I want you to notice something. It starts with Jesus Christ, not us. The Son of God, Jesus Christ. So that's part one of your gospel. And in your notes from the service today, you'll see in this, I'm just going to walk through these, the parts of the gospel. And most of you know these. It's not new to you. We're just going to refresh ourselves in this today and really truly get ourselves grounded in what the gospel is. So the first thing is all about God. And, and it's part of him that we understand is that God is our creator. He is the one who made us. He can do with us what he wants. I, I'm astounded that our creator wants to have a personal relationship with me. Me. And he made me in his image to glorify himself. To have that fellowship with us. What was the first thing he did in the Garden of Eden? He was having a fellowship with Adam. Walking and talking with him, enjoying each other. And guess what? We get to do that again in heaven. It's the same thing. God wants us to have that fellowship and that, that time with him. It starts with God and that relationship with him. God loves us. God loves you. We hear that one. Lots of love. You see it in his character. The very fact that he reaches out to us, his own creation, to do these things. Romans 8, we just read it there. Uh, 5.8 says, the love of God has been poured out on us by his spirit. It's poured out. The blessings are overflowing from God, how much he loves us through Christ. And so God is also holy. So he's our creator. He loves us and he is holy. That holiness we're not. We are not holy. But we're not filthy rags. Okay, catch this for a second. We are his creation. God doesn't make filthy rags. But our sin, our sin is filthy. Yes? Does that make sense? Amen? Which leads us to the second part of the gospel. Okay? The second part of the gospel is this, our sin. We're by nature uh, sinners. By nature and by practice, we're sinners. Romans 5 continues in that through Adam's sin spread to all men and death through sin. We're by nature condemned because of our sins. There's no amount of good things you can do to release us from your sin. That's sin nature. Because we're sinners in nature, that's who we are, we tend to follow our own desires, our selfishness, and those things that we want to do in practice. We lie, we cheat, we steal, we try to get away with things. It's just because that's our sin nature. And even Romans 5, 6 says we're called ungodly. Um, part, six of, of, or part three of the gospel is this. That separates us from God. That's in nature. Because God is holy and we're separated from him and we live a life condemned 
and apart from all that he wants. Now, this, does this sound really good news yet? It's not, it's not really good news yet, is it? Verse 10, in fact, calls us enemies of God. That's where we start. We have to understand that we truly are or were enemies of God. We were lumped in with those in Romans uh, chapter 1 where Paul describes them as, as wicked, murderous, um, immoral. Just pick your word for, for desperately wicked. And, and we get lumped in with that because that's how we were. We were enemies of God. Altogether, we're enemies. We're removed far from God and only able to really enjoy a common grace of God. It's what's called common grace, where we get to enjoy those things of family, food, we get shelter, all those types of good things, the rain, the sunshine. God gives all kinds of good things to everyone in creation. That's the good God that we have. And yet, never part of his family. And that's the difference. So when we die, there's also a second death. The Bible calls it the second death. And it keeps us separated from him forever. In a real place called hell. Still not good news, is it? That's bad news. And yet, without the bad news, there is no good news. You think about that for just a second. The bad news. We have to understand where we are. And, and, and without that, we don't truly understand the significant impact that Christ had on the cross. The bad news is significant. So now, here's the good news. And it doesn't sound like that at first. But part four of the gospel is this. Christ died for us. Verse eight says this, what? That while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. For me, for you. And verse nine says this, we shall be saved from wrath through Jesus Christ. And what's this wrath? Even the song I, we sang a while ago even talked about that, that wrath of God. It was in there. I, I caught that. And we don't hear that very much in the churches or society, obviously, but even, even in churches. What is that wrath of God? Well, there is a price to be paid for disobedience to God. It's there for sin. There is a price. There's always been a price for disobedience to God. The nation of Israel had to pay a price time and time again for their sins. He would send them into captivity. He would cause plagues to happen, and they would come back to him. There's always a price for sin. And we'd rather keep things soft and sweet and mushy in our churches. Think of trying to invite people in this culture these days and tell them God's wrath is to come, and you'll hear ears closed, won't you? because they don't want to hear it. And churches tend to shy away from that. Now, I'm not saying we have to come in every Sunday and have the wrath of God, pastor, please, next Sunday, come in and just pound on the wrath of God. That's not the message of Christ. But it is contained in there because the gospel without the wrath of God is not good news. The bad news is there is wrath of God. And the good news is that Christ died for that. Jesus even warned of the wrath to come. Think of Revelation, full of the bowls of wrath of God and judgment. Think of John the Baptist, who himself said, he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. 
John 3. And this wrath must be satisfied. It has to be paid for. There is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood, the Bible says. A ransom has to be paid. That's God's judgment. Well, guess what? Jesus himself made himself that ransom. Hmm. The blood sacrifice for us. In Mark 10, 45, he said he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And that ransom was paid for you and for me. To redeem us from that holy wrath of God. Meant for, meant for me. Meant for you. That's what he did. He gave his life for you and for me. Now, you may have heard the analogy given in different ways, and analogies are great. They never quite do it the way that it's justice to it, but you may have heard the, we were adrift in an ocean or on a river, and God reached out in the right time and pulled us out of that river of sin and pulled us to safety. Praise God for that. Nothing we did on our own, but there's something missing there. There's missing that Jesus Christ himself sacrificed himself died while saving us in our place. Even that analogy doesn't quite do it, that he jumped in for us and pulled us and took us out. God was like, I'm the one going to take your place in the judgment itself and be that ransom for you to save you and redeem you. In the Old Testament, God himself is referred many times as the, our nation's redeemer, Israel's redeemer. I saw this in, in really what spurred this thought about just going through the gospel was even in Isaiah 43 where he talked about himself redeeming Israel through other nations. And so the gospel of grace itself is even contained in the Old Testament. Don't throw away the Old Testament as a gospel of grace. It's there throughout. Isaiah speaks of it many times. Jesus Christ himself gave himself a ransom paid for you and me to claim us. In Romans 3.25, Paul says that God sent forth Jesus to be a propitiation by his blood for our sins. Now that may seem like a difficult word to understand and we've said it sometimes here. Let me explain it to you in this way. Another verse says, First, uh, 1 John 4.10 says that in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us first and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And so the propitiation is this. There's two things within propitiation. One is that it puts away our own sin. It covers it. It's clean. We've become white because of that, because of what Jesus did on the cross. But it also satisfied that wrath of God. That's significant. There is wrath of God. Both of them are there. Mankind attempts in so many ways to satisfy wrath of God. And we do it in many ways ourselves, either by trying to do things better, by being good, following the law. We've talked about the law will do nothing for you. Trying to attain it ourselves. Other religions will try to satisfy the wrath of their God. They understand there is wrath. 
But Christ satisfied the wrath of Almighty God himself. Amen? Isn't that good? That is propitiation in its full. And that's the gospel. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. There's a, there's a hymn that we sing. We sing it here once in a while too. And I love the hymn. It's called Jesus Paid It All. Now that song there, if you read it, it says, when all, I, all to him I owe... Don't think of this as meaning we truly owe Christ something. It's nothing we can owe because there's no amount that we could pay for this. It's not that way. All to whom we owe means that we owe it to him. It's only him that paid our, paid our propitiation, that ransom. But don't think that there's anything that we could ever pay. Don't think that, well, I failed today. I'm going to do better tomorrow. That'll satisfy God. Man, I messed up today. God won't like me tomorrow. That will never work because that's not what God did. God saved you. He ransomed himself. Satisfying the holiness of God requires something well beyond what you and I can ever repay. Far, uh, part five of the gospel. Now, here's where the crux is. We understand all of that, that God is our creator and he's holy and we're not. That we sin, it's our nature and we understand that Christ was our redeemer, the only one who could save us. Now, what's our response? Now, what do we do with that? Now, at 17 years old, I came to Christ because I understood the gospel. I was finally comprehending what the gospel was. And many of you have done the same thing at different ages and times in your life. One of the most profound and difficult things for most people to understand is that we don't have to do anything. We're, we're, we're not required to do something. The good news is all we have to do is believe in him. That's it. Uh, when Nicodemus came to Jesus in, in the darkness of night, you remember the story of the, the rich man Nicodemus? Uh, well, he was a ruler at the time. He admitted that he believed that Jesus was of God. He understood there was something significant there about Jesus, this one who'd come. And the response that Jesus gave him perplexed him. He couldn't understand it. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again or born of above. And Nicodemus looked at him and said, how can I be born again? What, what does that mean? And he says, when you're born again, you're given a new birth, born of both the water and of the spirit. In other words, you have flesh, yes, but you must have the Spirit as well. And when you're saved, God gives you His Holy Spirit. You must have both. And Nicodemus was perplexed by that. He was a teacher of Scripture, and he was perplexed. So for us, I understand how we can be perplexed. So through the Holy Spirit Himself, He gives us this understanding. You must be born again, both in your water, which is what we already have, and in the Spirit. And when we repent of our sin of unbelief and recognize our sin separates us from God, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, God himself, and only his sacrifice can pay that sin. We trust him as Lord. We're reconciled with God. And his Holy Spirit is given to us. And we're saved. That's the gospel.
Do you need me to tell you that again? Or did you catch that? That's the gospel. We're born again. That's reconciliation with God, and God brings us back together again. And now, now we can have that fellowship again that God wants with us. Once again, we're finally at peace with God. And isn't peace good? Man. No longer separated from him. No longer in fear. Because of the overwhelming, gracious love of God. Now before Jesus went to the cross, he was with the disciples in the upper room and he wanted to talk to them and he talked a lot. If you go through the scriptures, he gave them a lot. And one of those things I want us to do today. So gentlemen, if you can come forward, I'd like us to take a time here of communion and um, I'm gonna pray for us here just before we do. And we're going to take some time to reflect on what we just heard in the scriptures. Scripture gives us four places where the ordinance of communion is found. Luke 22, Mark 14, Matthew 26, and guess where else? 1 Corinthians. It's a repetition of the gospel and remembrance of what Christ did because it was necessary. So, gentlemen, um, let's, let's pray first and then I'm going to have you pass these out and we're going to take some, just a few minutes to remember what Christ did for us. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The bad news as well as the good because the good news is that we can be saved from our sins. We thank you, Lord, for what you did for us that we could not do for ourselves. We thank you for loving and caring for us so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for us, to pay for those sins, a propitiation to satisfy the wrath that must be paid. And we thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Recently, we had a, um, a day of remembrance for those who gave their lives in military duty and honored them for their sacrifices on Memorial Day, um, and that's a good thing. Um, today, we remember Jesus Christ who gave his life for our souls, and as we remember that and what he did for us on the cross that no one else could do, no amount of sacrifice anyone else could do for us accomplished on the cross, it was finished. And Jesus, at the end, when he was on the cross, said that, it is finished. I've accomplished the work, Father, that you set for me to do. And so as we remember this, and Jesus, before he went to the cross, knowing that this was going to happen, spoke to the disciples, and he, and he gave that he would soon pass from this earth. And so when he when they were sitting down to eat their normal course of meal and he was breaking the bread and passing this around and just the normal conversation of things, he said, look, take this bread. And he gave it to them and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this 
in remembrance of me. And then when he took the cup or the wine cup that was being passed around, he said, take this cup. Now this cup is the New Testament, a new covenant in my blood. This do in remembrance of me. So what do we do with that? Well, many of you here are believers. I'd say probably most of you are here are believers, if not all, but I'm just, I don't know. God knows your heart. Now we're supposed to grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to take us there for a little bit, okay? Go to Colossians chapter 2 with me. Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to spend the rest of our time here today. Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. I'll get there myself. Now preachers can cheat. They can write it down in their notes here. But I'm going to find it here so that I can get there as well as you. Okay? All right. Verse 6 of chapter 2 of Colossians says this, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Focus on verse 7 for just a few minutes here. It's full of the gospel and instruction for our growth. Verse 7 itself says, we've received Christ Jesus the Lord. So we just went through the gospel. And now that you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, and our response is to receive it, to, to let it in and believe it. That is what God wants us to do, to make him both Savior, Christ, Messiah, and Lord, by the way. He is both. He is your Savior and your Lord. He is your Master. And so when we receive Christ Jesus the Lord, we are to walk in Him. And so the scripture here says, walk in Him now. And what does that mean to walk in someone? It generally means to follow them, to, 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 to let them lead you and guide you and follow their path. Wherever they go, you go. The disciples at this time knew exactly what that meant. When you had a teacher, a rabbi, you were a disciple of that rabbi, you went where they went, and you followed them. If they sat down, you sat down with them. Wherever they go, whatever they eat, whatever they do, you go with them. 
And Jesus here is inviting us to walk with him, to study him, to listen to him, to hear his stories, to follow him around, find out what he's like. In time, you begin to act like him more and more. When you follow someone, that's what a master does for you. And a disciple begins to look like their master even. The path of a disciple is to absorb themselves in their master. Just let them fill you. So does Jesus do that for you? We're going to be walking in Christ the rest of our lives if we're believers. And it's really up to you how closely you follow that master. How much you listen to him and, and spending time with him. When you fall away from Christ, don't, let's get us back together again, okay? We waver at times, but let's encourage each other to get back on the path and follow Christ again. To make him your master and your Lord. To, to follow him. To walk in him. The third thing here it says is that we are to be rooted in him and built up in him in verse 7. The root. A root. Anybody here do plants at all? I mean, you know, are you planters? Can you plant things? You know what a root does? A root determines the plant. If the root dies, what happens to the plant? It dies. So the root is there. The root determines the plant. And by this, I mean that the gospel should permeate every part of your life. The root should be there. Your thoughts, your actions, the words you speak, the things you do on a daily basis, your decisions, the organizations you belong to, your causes, uh, your reaction to pressure on your job, your family, all the things you go through, your health, the decisions you make on a daily basis, where you go, the people you talk to, the things you say. Does the gospel permeate every element of your life like that? That's what it means to be rooted in Christ, and it comes up through every portion of what you do. And so God wants us to do that, be rooted and built up in him. It's, the gospel's not a one and done thing. I did that, and I'm done. It's, it's still with you the rest of your life, isn't it? The gospel is, it impacts every day of your life from here on. It continues to wrap itself into everything you do for the rest of your life. And that's what it means to be rooted and built up in Jesus Christ. Now it also says to be established in the faith as you've been taught. So our foundation, and we talked about this, our understanding of the gospel is critical. But there's even more to learn, right? And so our foundation must be true to that faith because that's what happened to the church at Corinth is that their foundation fell away. They followed many other things. They started enveloping themselves into society and to other religions and pulling those things back in from Judaism. Let's not waver. Let's stay true to that faith of the gospel. So we are going to be established in the faith. Listen to God's spirit and let, us rem let him remind us of all those things that he's taught us. That's what the God's spirit is for. Preachers, teachers, parents, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, great, help each other, learn the scriptures, learn those things of the faith. But you and I can waver, can't we? We can go wrong. But God's word itself and his Holy Spirit will never, ever, ever waver. And we can trust him in that. One thing we recognize in this church, and, and Pastor Josh and I and, and Chuck have been talking about, is our discipleship in this church. Helping each other grow in Christ. And what we want to do is to do this better. 
to make sure that we're helping each other grow up in Christ, to be founded on the gospel, yes, and stay there. And then how do we continue to grow in Christ? Our kids' programs, thank you so much, teachers, who are helping our kids grow in Christ. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Our Awana program, all those good things that we do here, thank you. And our adults, we need some help, okay? So when we do start talking about things that we want to do, um, instruction, getting together one-on-one, all of those types of things, just be aware that's where this is coming from. We want to help each other grow and be established in the gospel of Christ the rest of our lives. So stay tuned, okay? We're going to go there. The last thing it says here is to be abounding in our faith with thanksgiving. Abounding in it with thanksgiving. That's a full word, isn't it? To be abounding in thanksgiving with what God's done for us. The gospel runs full circle back to God. We talked about all those good things God did for us last Sunday. We, we talked about his faithfulness. And, and we can do this again and again. I, I don't mind. Let's do it again, Pastor. Sometime, let's just stand up and have good testimonies. I, I enjoyed that because it, it felt like we were all understanding truly what God has done for us. But we're fascinated and in awe that the Creator God could do this for you and for me. He would love us enough to want to have a relationship with us. That should make you abound in thanksgiving on its own. For us to understand that the Creator did that for us. Although we were still sinners, <laughs> He did that for you and for me. So we'll remind each other of the significance of the cross time and time again because we want to abound in thanksgiving. Make sense? We do that because we want to understand the significance of what Christ did for you and for me and to show that to others. He even made some wonderful promises. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Isn't that good to give thanksgiving for that? Jesus said, where I go, I'll prepare a place for you in heaven. He's got a place for you and for me in heaven already. It's laid out. There it is. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Doesn't that give you a heart of thankfulness? Ask and it shall be given to you. The promises a time and time again that Jesus Christ gives to us should make us abound in thanksgiving, rooted, built up, and joyful because of what Christ did for us on the cross. There's great joy in the gospel. So, there's a decision here. When we hear the gospel, and you heard it again today, I, did, I told you this was not going to be very complicated. You've heard this before, some of you. You know the gospel, right? That's all I have. I told Wes, we were meeting last uh, week, a week ago, and I forget when it was. Um, time passes quickly. I said, I want to give the gospel because that's all I have. That's it. I can't go any further. I, I, I have to say this, and it excites me to even give this, because the gospel is, the gospel is, that's it, okay? I'll stay there, because when you hear the gospel, it's going to do one of these four things for you. It's going to bore you, because you've heard it before, and I've heard this before. Preacher, I've heard this before. I don't want to hear it again. <sighs> I've heard this from this person. Okay, you're a believer, and you've heard it before. 
Maybe you need to get excited again about what God's done for you and the significance of that on the cross. Understand the significance of the wrath that you escaped because of what Christ did for you on the cross. That should excite you. If it doesn't, man, let's get it going. Let's pray that God will restoke your spirit. It'll give you fear. That could be your response. And if it's fear because you understand the significance of the wrath of God and you're in fear of that, this might be the day that you need to truly believe in Jesus Christ. This is the day. Don't pass it up. God wants you to be at peace with him. He doesn't want you to be in fear. It could cause you confusion, much like Nicodemus. Not quite understanding this. Well, let's talk. I can help you there. We've all felt that way at times. There's been times in my life before I was saved, I didn't understand it. There was just, I didn't quite get it. And some people came along and helped me. So you might be there. Let's talk. I'm happy to sit down with you as long as it takes. Pastor Chuck, anybody, Jason, Nathan, anybody here um, will take you through the scriptures and help you. Don't be ashamed of that, please. It, it's well worth it. Or you might have some excitement. That might be a reaction of the gospel. Now, if that's your place, I'm glad of it. Now, what do you do with it? Share it. Share it with someone. My goodness, don't hold that in. That is well worth any news. Don't read the news. Don't go to the network news and try to expect good news like that, okay? No newscast anywhere is going to give you anything like this. This is the good news. And you have it in your hands. You can tell anyone it's not hard, is it? I gave it to you today. And so share that excitement. Share the joy that you know through Jesus Christ. You just don't realize how much hope you can give through the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, God, for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, help us not to waver. Help us to enjoy it. Help us to rejoice and be excited about the good news that Jesus Christ came. God, that your promises were not lax, that you fulfilled everything that the prophets had said, that there would be one who would come who would sacrifice as the lamb, the pure lamb on the cross, that his blood would be spilt for our sins. God, that he rose again on the third day just as the prophets said he would do. God, thank you so much for fulfilling your promises to save us. God, for those who don't quite understand or, or, or have questions, Lord, help them today to, to ask. God, so much I want to be able to express your words in a way that would help them to understand. Father, you love them. And then help us to share it. God, help us so much to be able to, even to say our neighbors. I think of my own neighbor. I, I, God, help me to have that instance where I can go to him and, and share this good news. God, help me not to be fearful of that. God, there's others who know exactly what I'm saying. Help us not to be fearful or to think that we don't know the words or don't know the gospel. God, it's, it's simple. Lord, you saved us and you can save them. And help us to be excited about that. Father, help us as a church to go forward to, to help each other grow in Christ, to be 
proclaimers of your gospel and to help each other grow through the difficulties. Help us to encourage each other, come alongside um, to, to encourage through the, the pains and the struggles of life and to give hope. God, that's what you put us here for. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So what will you do with it today? What's your part in the gospel? My purpose in this today was to make sure that we're fully grounded. And as we go back into Corinthians next week, we are, aren't we? Unless God gives you something. Oh, yes, we are. Okay. Um, that we understand the perspective of the Corinthian church is no different than ours. We're easily swayed by society and all those things, even our own lives, and getting caught up in those things. So let's stay true to the gospel.